I push all leaders that I work with to think about DEI as another skill in their management toolbox that they need to have. It is just as important as some of the other things. It's just as important as learning to have those difficult conversations and, and, and execute strategy, right? Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. Hi there, friends. My first book, Values First, How Knowing Your Core Beliefs Can Get You the Life and Career You Want, is now out in the world. Thank you so much for your support of the book. With your help, we are a number one Amazon bestseller in the business ethics category and a number one new release for time management and business and business etiquette. I have poured my heart into this book with personal stories and stories for my coaching clients using the values first framework. Between the constant pressure of job performance and demands on your time, it's easy to lose sight of your values letting them shift out of alignment. Those simple misalignments are keeping you from feeling joyful and fulfilled. Learn how to recenter your life and career around what truly matters to you. Order Values First now at your favorite independent bookstore or at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. I wanna make sure that you are the first to know about every book activity that we have in store, including virtual and in-person events. Stay up to date by joining our list at thecatchgroup.com slash values first. That's thecatchgroup.com slash values first. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Josie Haynes. Josie Haynes is an executive and engineering leadership coach focused on empowering high-performing leadership through empathy and compassion. Her mission is to retain women in tech and break the statistic that 56% of women leave tech after 10 to 20 years by empowering engineering leaders with the effective and fair management practices and principles needed to finally move the needle. She has spent over 22 years in the tech industry as an award-winning software engineering leader at the forefront of emerging consumer technology across Silicon Valley, including management roles at Apple, Tile, Zynga, and American Express. She was most recently the VP of software engineering and head of DEI at Tile where she had grown the engineering team by 45% from 29 to 55 in five months during COVID and led all software engineering efforts across mobile, backend, web, and QA. At Apple, she led the Siri music team during the development of the HomePod, as well as the Siri media team, which won a technical Emmy for the Siri on Apple TV integration. 
She is also an avid public speaker, having given over 100 talks, workshops, and podcasts on retaining women in tech, engineering leadership, DEI, and various technologies. We talked about the struggles that women in tech are facing. And more importantly, we talked about how leaders can build inclusive cultures to retain women in tech. We also talked about the things that impede the progress that organizations are making and what they need to do to move their diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies forward. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Laura. I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career journey. Absolutely. So I've been in the tech industry for 22 years now. I actually didn't think I was going to start in tech. My parents wanted me to be a doctor. And so my undergrad degree is actually in chemistry and material science. My junior year, though, I realized I had zero interest in going to grad school or becoming a doctor. And I better get a job. So I ended up landing a role for PricewaterhouseCoopers as a technical consultant. And the first thing they do is send you to a three-month boot camp in Tampa to learn how to code. And I picked it up so quickly. I was soon teaching all my colleagues. And so they flew me out here to California to actually learn a new technology for a week. And that week changed my life. I fell in love with the Bay Area, the culture, the climate. This was the middle of the dot-com boom. So the technology was taking off and I knew I had to be there to change the world. PricewaterhouseCoopers at the time didn't want to help move me out here since I had just started. And so I said, all right, that's fine. I'll find my own role. And so came out here, interviewed for a number of positions and landed a job as a web developer at a now defunct dot-com startup. And that started my tech career in early 2000. And it's taken off since. So I was a software engineer at a variety of different companies for the first 10 years of my career. And then I ended up at Zynga in 2010. And that's really where my career took off. For those of you who don't know, Zynga is a big gaming company. And back in 2010, we basically were what made Facebook take off. And so I joined a company when it was a thousand people and we grew to 2000 in my first year. And my career took off just like the company did. So I started as a lead working on revenue features for a game called Cafe World and got us a couple million dollar days, then became the first engineer on a game called Chefville, where I helped design the storage service that later served all Zynga games and finally became director of engineering and ended up leading the game once we launched to 10 million daily active users. After six months of the game launching, it ended up moving to India. And unfortunately, at that point, my mom passed away. So I ended up moving to Florida for nine months, but realized I still loved the Bay Area. And thankfully, my dad was doing better. So I moved back came back to Zynga and uh, worked there for another year, realized I didn't really want to work in ads, which is what I was doing now. And I had an amazing opportunity to go to Apple. And so I went to Apple in 2016 and worked on Siri Media Music and Sports. 
tests. I helped my team develop over 30 new features for Siri Music during the development of the HomePod. I also worked on Siri on Apple TV and we got a technical Emmy for that integration while I was leading the team. And I also started Women in Siri. I realized something though during my two years at Apple, which was I was burnt out. I was fed up with how women in the tech industry were treated and I was done. I was going through a lot of imposter syndrome. I left Apple thinking I was an awful manager, even though I literally had people tell me I was the best manager they'd ever had. So I walked away. In early 2018, I walked away. I said, I'm done. I'm done with the tech industry. I'm done with putting up with this. I realized something though. Technology was impacting my daily life so much more, in all of our daily lives, so much more than when I had started doing this 22 years ago. But yet, technology was not fully addressing the needs of women and underrepresented minorities. Voice assistants are less accurate for female voices than those with accents. Facial recognition software does not work as well for those with darker skin tones. And the underlying data that's used for so much machine learning has a lot of inherent bias in it. And so I realized that if I didn't come back to tech, I was gonna be walking away from the ability to impact this future. And so I decided to come back into my own roles this time. And when I joined Tile in late 2018, I actually spoke to the CEO, CJ, and said, hey, if you want me to join your company as a platform engineering director, I also wanna lead our DEI initiatives and make sure that inclusion is not just lip service. And he said to me, hey, I'm married. I have two daughters and two sisters, no brothers, no sons. And I told my wife, I was really truly gonna make Tile the best place for women to work in the Valley. So I said, all right, let's do this. And I joined. And so I started and helped build an amazing inclusive culture I am super proud of. I also started our mentoring program, which empowered seven folks within Tile to change roles within the three years that we were leading that. And that mentoring program, I actually open sourced it and Mozilla and a number of other companies have actually been able to base their mentoring programs off of it. I eventually also became VP of engineering at Tile and ended up helping grow the organization from 29 to 55 engineers in four months in the middle of COVID while still keeping that inclusive culture that I was super proud of. I realized something at that point though, which was I was so proud of what I'd created, but I'd only done it for one company. And this really goes back to something I realized back in 2018, which is 56% of women are leaving the tech industry after 10 to 20 years. And you would think that the main reason they're leaving is to go start a family, but that's not the reason. It's because of unfairness. And so I realized doing this one company at a time was not truly going to fulfill my mission around retaining women in tech. And so I decided that I was gonna leave Tile and start my own business as an engineering leadership coach focused on building inclusive, high-performing teams in tech. Because I truly believe that if we can work with the engineering leaders and empower them to build more inclusive cultures, especially since the engineering teams in most tech companies are the largest ones and currently have the least diversity and inclusion, we could finally move the needle and start retaining women in tech.
I am so blown away by your passion and your mission. I want to hear, I want to hear more about the struggles that you were facing when you left, because I think we find so many women in those struggles. You said unfairness. Um, you said a culture of burnout. Can you, can you talk a bit more about what they're up against, what these cultures are really like, and just paint that picture for the audience? Absolutely. And so while sometimes, you know, an awful thing can happen to somebody, and I, I don't want to discount that, I think a lot of times it's what I call death by a thousand paper cuts. It's the sum of all these little things that are happening on a daily basis that you might not even notice until something happens. And a prime example that I share is during my Apple days and when I was working on Apple TV, my project manager who we worked very closely with was a black man. We would walk into meetings together all of the time. Everyone always assumed he was the engineering manager and I was the project manager to the point that I actually ended up getting an email apology from someone saying, hey, I'm sorry I assumed you were the non-technical one. And it was really when I got that apology letter that I realized just how many times that had happened to me. It Like, I couldn't count how many times. Like, it was a common occurrence. And, and so, yeah, it's that's just one example. But it's things like that and having your ideas appropriated, you know, being spoken over in a meeting. Um, another heartbreaking one is around promotions, right? For every hundred men that are promoted to management, only 72 women are. And so that's creating this broken rung. And then you have a lack of women going up the career ladder and that's causing a lot of other problems, right? People don't. And the other thing is a lot of times you're the only in the room. Right. And so you look around and you're like, is this just me? Am I, is this in my head? And that's why I think it's so crucial for folks to be building a network and a support system, especially as you get higher up in your career, it ends up being invaluable. Thank you so much for painting that picture. And it is just a picture that you want to change, right? You want to create those inclusive environments and cultures for people to thrive. I think that's where um, both of us have a common goal of building these inclusive cultures and having more people represented in these big roles. And I love that your mission now is to create bigger impact by not just doing it one company at a time, right? So now you're able to serve in a different way and multiply your impact can we talk about next kind of the different levels of impact we might be able to have? So at the individual level, at some of the organizational or systemic levels? Absolutely. And so all individuals have the ability to impact and influence this, right? And I feel so many times, you know, you go into a company and you talk about DEI and it, it falls into the responsibility of HR. But I push all leaders that I work with to think about DEI 
as another skill in their management toolbox that they need to have. It is just as important as some of the other things. It's just as important as learning to have those difficult conversations and, and, and execute strategy, right? And so I talk about three pillars that leaders can really impact. And this is leaders at all levels, right? Because you really, no matter what your level is as a leader, you still have the ability to influence your team and those around you. And so the first one is what traditionally gets thought of as DEI, which is those comprehensive DEI practices, things like inclusive hiring, uh, you know, DEI metrics. And all of these things can be a partnership, right? A lot of them do fall under the main responsibility of HR. Are, but I tell leaders, if you want to change your hiring numbers and get more diversity, this is not on your HR team. It's on you to work with them and make that happen, right? And so that's just one example under the comprehensive DI practices. But the problem is a lot of times we focus on that pillar because it's easy to measure diversity. However, it's pillars two and three that actually move the needle because they're talking more about the inclusion and equity piece. So pillar two is creating that inclusive culture, creating a culture where you know you have psychological safety, where, where people truly believe their opinions are valued and heard and are contributing to the greater good of the company. And we have so much influence on this as leaders because the way we show up is setting that culture for our teams. And finally, the third pillar is effective and fair management practices and principles. And so many of us were promoted to management positions with absolutely no training on management, let alone how to be effective and fair. And yet we're the ones setting people's pay, promotion, you know, what roles they get, where, who gets to travel, right? And all of these things can negatively impact inclusion if we don't slow down our thinking when biases can potentially come into play. And if we don't know what we don't know, right? And so we could be negatively impacting inclusion and not really understand that. And so as leaders, it's on us to be learning how to be effective and fair. And, you know, if you ended up in a managerial position and you didn't get training on how to be a leader from your company, ask for it, ask for these things. And they don't give it to you, find some elsewhere, right? But leadership is a learning journey. And I think the other thing that's important about these two pillars, going back to measuring things, is you can measure inclusion, right? It's not as easy to measure as diversity metrics, but you can measure inclusion. You know, in those quarterly or biannual engagement surveys, are you actually asking folks if they feel like they belong, if they feel their opinions are being valued and heard? These are all questions that you can ask, and yet so many times we're not. I love that you talked about how it's everyone's role at every level. And just before we started the podcast, you had mentioned, and I'm, I wrote it down because I loved it. As a manager, you should be able to answer the question. If somebody asks you in an interview, how are you creating an inclusive culture? So can you answer that question? And I think a lot of leaders right now can't. Exactly. You know, it is so common to ask that question and get deer in the headlights. And the fact that people don't understand that inclusion directly impacts 
performance and productivity. And that's why I really talk about building inclusive, high-performing teams. Because so many times, especially in the tech industry, DEI gets placed under this nice-to-have bucket. But I tell companies, inclusion is directly impacting your bottom line. And so if your managers can't answer the inclusion question, they're turning away potential employees that could actually be building you a better product. Yeah, they're turning away your ideas because if you're, yep. you don't feel like you belong, I'm going to be least likely to share my ideas with you, right? Because you're probably not going to listen or value me. Exactly. The world is getting more and more complex and a bit chaotic. Pandemic, social unrest, recession, hybrid workforce, you name it, it is here. And it's hard to navigate home and work for yourself and for your team. And what about time for you? It seems non-existent. Our recent podcast listener and reader told me the following. This has been a light bulb moment, knowing my values and then identifying boundaries to protect my values and building systems to support those boundaries. It's been incredible. When I've broken one of those boundaries, remembering my values has kept me focused. In Values First, this book can give you the tools to build those boundaries, but more importantly, how to keep them with a proven framework to identify what matters most to you and the motivation to build a sustainable plan. Values First, How Knowing Your Core Beliefs Can Get You the Life and Career You Want is now available wherever books are sold. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash values first to learn more and stay connected. That's thecatchgroup.com slash values first. So as we think about kind of more organizational and systemic what do you think is stopping the progress of some of these organizations? I think it's a couple of things. One is it can be overwhelming, right? I, I, I covered three pillars. There's a lot to dive into. And so sometimes it can just be, where do you start, right? And for them, I say, especially now, right? We're in an environment where a lot of folks are not hiring. But now's the key time to work on inclusion, because if you can get the inclusive culture built within your team, you will have an easier time actually hiring folks from diverse backgrounds because they'll see you've been making the efforts there. So that's that's one thing. I think another thing that's really stopping companies is, again, the fact that they're not tying this to the company business performance. And so it's it really does fall into that nice to have bucket. But here's the thing. In the tech industry, it is costing us $16 billion a year in inequity every single year. If you take into account that 37% of folks are leaving tech every year because of unfairness, and it costs about $144,000 to replace somebody, and that's low for an engineer, that adds up to that $16 billion price tag. And so, you know, that's another thing we really need to be considering is why we're not thinking about this as a business case, right? And finally, I think it's because of the messy middle. And what do I mean by that? 
when you're taking action towards some of these topics, it's really about imperfect action because it's, it's more important to take the action and try to improve things and make it better. But you're never going to become an expert without going through some messiness. None of us are perfect, right? I'm sure I've messed up plenty of things related to inclusion in my 22 year career. And it's about acknowledging those and being willing to admit, hey, I made a mistake. I'm learning from this. And as leaders, we are on an allyship journey and it is a journey. It is a learning journey and it's a learning journey you need to take responsibility for. That's that's the other thing, right? It's not on the underrepresented minorities to teach you how to be a better ally. It's on you to learn, hey, what are the challenges and how can I truly be making a more inclusive culture? I really resonated with that messy middle and the overwhelm, right? Uh, I've mm-hmm. worked for big companies, small companies, and you're right. It, it's a journey that we're, we're often keen to take on. And then we form a committee or a person is in charge of it and it gets stalled out kind of in that messy middle where you're not seeing results yet, right? Because this is a journey. And maybe we're a bit too impatient and we get stalled and we we aren't as effective. Yeah. And I think one of the things that can sometimes help with this, again, because sometimes this falls under the nice to have category, is realizing if this is a priority, then let's make it a priority. Where is it in our OKRs and company goals? Like, how are we tying, you know, some of the companies that have had the biggest change when it comes to these initiatives have tied their executive bonuses to DEI? Because when you focus on it and when you measure it, things will move, right? But if it always is the last thing to be done, it can always easily fall off the plate. Or if it's not funded. Right. I see so many things that are under resourced. Oh, we just hired a chief diversity officer that doesn't have any direct reports or Mm -hmm. has barely a line item budget with not many zeros behind it. Right. So it's it's really hard to then set that person or that small team up for success. Again, making it on a department or HR as opposed to holistic leadership. Yeah. And if you are one of those leaders in those roles, go back to that $16 billion price tag that I was talking about, right? What are your retention numbers at your company? If they are above industry average, you know, look at that. Look at where you're losing your own talent, right? The numbers are there, right? Look at look at them. So if people listening want help, can you talk about how you engage with both organizations and individuals and what are some of the problems that you're solving with your current clients? So my my focus is really to be an executive coach for engineering leaders and empowering them to be creating these inclusive, high-performing 
teams. And so I work with both individuals as well as organizations, and I can work with either individual leaders or do a group, uh, depending on the company, and really work through some of these challenges, right? I can also, with organizations, I've also come in and help them do some analysis, right? Figure out where exactly, working through that overwhelm, right? Where exactly are those challenges and how to come up with a plan to solve them. And I also do uh, some public speaking and keynotes and workshops around this. So, you know, if the organization is maybe just getting started and wants an overview before diving in, that's another area that I can support teams. And so what are some of the challenges people come to me with? Well, everything from, hey, I can't retain my talent or I just put up this job and it's been a month and I've had no women apply to it or no underrepresented minorities. What am I doing wrong? Or even, hey, I'm I'm overwhelmed as an engineering leader and I've got too much to do and how do I get some sanity around things, right? I feel my superpower, my differentiator is the fact that I look at it, you know, my specialty is working with engineering leaders, and I really look at it from both the technical side and the leadership side, because I feel a lot of folks focus on either purely on the leadership side, but there's a lot of engineering coaches that are focused purely on the technical and metric side. And we have to be thinking about this holistically, because if we don't take into account and especially at the at that VP exec level, so much of what we're doing is trying to explain engineering concepts and really technical metrics to non-engineering folks. You know, I say our our counterparts, you know, in marketing, for example, have it much easier in some ways because if you show marketing metrics to your CEO, he gets it. He or she gets it. Like they will understand exactly how that maps to the bottom line. If I were to show the execs team some of my technical metrics, like mean time to failure, they're going to be like, well, what are you talking about, Josie? I have no clue. Like, when is engineering going to deliver? That That is one of the things I help solve is, you know, so many times engineering leaders will come to me and say, my team is working so hard. They're killing themselves. And yet I'm always being asked, what's the team doing? Why aren't they delivering? Why are they always late? And that a lot of times is a management and leadership and a prioritization problem that I can help them solve. I love that you've married the technical with the leadership side and also that you're not just helping only women. You're helping leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And you're helping leaders and, and organizations to impact all of these, all of these groups, um, which I think is, is sometimes a miss of consultants and coaches, um, just because, you know, sometimes we go for those in need, which is great, but also sometimes those groups aren't the ones that can make the biggest impacts too, especially when the leadership is not always one dominant group, right? So it, uh, or is one dominant group, sorry. So I, I really love even your inclusive focus in your consulting and coaching as well. Absolutely. And thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons I, I work with both men and women is, well, 
75% of the engineering leaders in the tech industry are men. So I need to be working with both uh, and I mean, and non-binary folks as well to really be able to impact the future, right? Because if I only worked with women and helped them stay in the industry, which is definitely one of the things I do, it's it's not really going to move the needle because it's some of these we were like we were talking about the so systemic things right the things that are really in these organizations and if most of the leaders are men like they're who we need to be impacting absolutely well how can we connect with you so the best place to connect with me is on linkedin that's where i'm usually always hanging out so definitely dm me on there or you can check out my website at josiehaines.com well, thank you so much, Josie. We will put all of that in the show notes. And I've just really enjoyed our connection. And thank you so much for sharing space with me today. Absolutely. It was so much fun being here with you today. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.